began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown great mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. They will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, lie about you, and say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Be excited, because great is your reward in heaven. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You cannot be hidden. People don't light a lamp and put it under a cover. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Matthew 5. Well, good morning, Dorisville. Along with selling uh, tickets for the movie, Courageous, at the welcome counter, we do have a pretty good supply of gopher wood. Um, if you're needing some, just swing by. Okay, that's not a good sign. <laughs> that was supposed to be kind of like funny a little bit anyway. Well, let me tell you this. Um, today we start a new series. And the weird news is, it's not the series that you have on your sermon sheet. That's what's weird. I have changed sermons sitting on the front row before, and God seemed to say, do this, and I did that. Never have I renamed a series on the morning of the day it starts. I'm sitting there studying this morning. I get up early on Sunday morning about 4.30 and do the final study thing. And um, I'm sitting there and I'm looking at that phrase, hardball, straight talk from Jesus. And, and by the way, the original plan was to kind of focus on the World Series, you know, in October, hardball, straight talk. But I'm just looking at that graphic. I'm reading those words and going, this is not what I want to say. This is not what I want to teach this month. And then, as I, as I looked at that sermon title for today, The Pursuit of Happiness, I understood that's exactly what we wanted to talk about. Exactly. So, the next six weeks, we're going to take a look at the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. And here's the deal. And I'll talk about it just a little bit moment as we talk about the points. But, really, the Sermon on the Mount is probably one of the most misunderstood sermons there is. Obviously, the most famous one that Jesus ever preached. George Payne wouldn't have liked it because it probably went like a couple hours long. So George would have probably gone, hey, Jesus, it is time, okay? And he's up in heaven going, now, preacher, come on, cut me some slack. All right? But anyway, um, so it's an incredible message. But here's what it kind of does. It does tell about a journey, okay, a pursuit, if you will, a trip. It starts out talking about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you're going to see where that, well, I never thought of it that way, or some of you will. And then we have kind of a three-response thing about how we're to be merciful and how we're to be peacemakers, okay, those kind of things. Then next week, Brent's going to jump in with salt and light and really talk about 
Why are we in this world? What is our purpose as believers in Jesus Christ? That's next week. And then we're going to spend the next four weeks looking at how we are to live in four specific areas. Maybe we'll touch on Sunday night on some of the other scriptures from out. Again, this is not an exhaustive look at the Sermon on Mount, but a thumbnail sketch of some of the most important teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, thinking about the pursuit of happiness, here's what the Declaration of Independence says. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they shall be endowed by, they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And these words come from Thomas Jefferson. All right, Thomas Jefferson. And, you know, and that's what America's all about. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But you know what? That is so elusive. I am so glad to be 57 years old. You know, I, I, some of you guys, I, I have seen 18 Senegalian gas. I have seen the invention of the microwave. I remember when, the, when Al Gore invented the Internet. <laughs> you know, I remember that. Yeah, the, the personal computer, all the different things I've seen. Yeah, I've lived long enough to say back in the early 60s, I'm old enough to remember that. Uh, you know, I was like seven, eight years old when life was really, really simple when really the church was the center of the universe, and that's kind of what you did, especially down south, you know, that's just kind of what you did. Life was simple then. And I've lived long enough to see people pursue happiness in so many different ways and not find it. Today we have, most of us have more available funding than we've ever had. We've got more toys, we've got more gadgets, we've got more incredible automobiles and homes and the opportunity to own those things. And yet people aren't happy. In fact, as you know, the divorce rate's higher than it's ever been before. The suicide rate's higher than it's ever been before. People are still searching. It's so elusive. And I'm going to tell you why. With all my heart. And you expect a Baptist preacher to say that, but that's okay. Because they're looking in the wrong place. I believe that the way we are pursuing happiness is like looking for a fish out of water. I believe today, not the Southern Baptist Convention. Not the church, not religion, not starting and stopping habits in your life, not going to a particular place on Sunday morning. I believe that Jesus Christ is the answer to happiness in life today. And I believe in the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to discover some ways that we can, in fact, find the happiness we're looking for. However, I need to warn you, as we've heard over the last few weeks, it is not what you would expect to find. And you're going to have to deal with that and come to grips with that. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, and we'll get into that just a little bit what that means, if, if you've never done that, you're going to have to really kind of push back and go, okay, Jesus, are you who you say you are? Did you do what you said you did? You're going to have to come to grips with that. And if you are already a believer in Jesus Christ, I want to refresh your memory of what Christ has done in your life today. So if you've never met Jesus, we want to tell you about him for the first time. If you've met him, I want you to reacquaint yourself with him in a very special way today. It's got some eclectic um, sermon points today, okay? And it begins with this one entitled, Flat Broke. Flat Broke. I want to ask you, if you will, to stand your feet in honor of God's word. And we're gonna, I'm going to read, you follow on your translation there, 
This is the New King James Version. These are the words of the Lord Jesus. And seeing the multitudes, Jesus went up on a mountain. And when he, had, when he was seated, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they shall revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We pray one more time. Father, I ask in the precious and holy and powerful name of your son, Jesus Christ, that you'll speak to our hearts today. As we look, Father, at what really is a familiar passage of Scripture, Lord, may we look at it with fresh eyes today, with a willing and open heart, and may we receive what you have for us. Father, for my friend who might be here today or might be listening on the radio, who has never found the happiness they're looking for, they have looked in all the different areas of life and come up empty every time. May they be drawn by you into relationship with you through your son, Jesus Christ. Help them to find true happiness in Jesus. And we pray this in his name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Now, don't you find it just a bit ironic that Jesus starts out and talking about poverty, about being poor, and that fits in somehow with the pursuit of happiness? Isn't that crazy? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, here, if you help you, how many of y'all are the greatest generation? How many of y'all are like born like in 1930, 27, 24? You know, anybody? No, you're not gonna raise your hands, are you? Okay, all right, I understand. Okay, but for the guys with silver hair, a lot besides like me who have a lot of silver hair and Rod Wallace. Okay, a lot of y'all have. You're the greatest generation. You're the generation that's been around for a long time, and you went through and remember the Great Depression. And in that time, when you talk to these people, they say a couple of things. First off this, they'll tell you that by and large they were happy. They didn't have a lot of stuff. But at that time, they fully understood and recognized that you didn't have to have stuff to be happy. Now, something else they'll tell you is this. I remember Doug Lambert saying this all the time. We were poor, but we didn't know it. Because everybody was poor. You went to school, and most of the people had holes in their jeans and holes in their shoes. If you went to church, they all had one pair of sunny clothes that they wore to church. If you ate lunch or supper at home, you may have had beans and cornbread. If you went to your neighbor's house, you had beans and cornbread. Everyone, most everyone, had a same standard of living. Hence, they were poor, but they didn't know they were poor. Now, back then, that was kind of a cool thing. But here's the problem. Today, spiritually, it's a real problem. You see, what people don't realize today is this is what Jesus is talking about. It's not what it seems. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. He's saying that we need to come to grips with the fact that we are spiritually bankrupt, that we are 
poverty-stricken in the area of spirituality. That when it comes to God, we are spiritually broke. And we need to realize that. Americans don't. Most people say, uh, uh, it goes back to this thing up here. It goes back to the scale. You know, Dwayne, uh, listen, I'm a pretty good person, and there's a giant scale out there. And if I do good enough, then listen, I'm going to be okay. All right? Now, there's some folks, this is their religion. The religion of Islam, there's the giant scale, and however it tilts, you get to the end, okay? And all it says, you can go or you can't go. The Hindus have their beliefs. Buddhists have their beliefs. But we don't believe in a giant scale. Jesus didn't believe in a giant scale. He believed in something far more significant that we're going to talk about in a few moments. There are people today who have a religion that they get to heaven on their works. But there's something that's rampant in America today that's even more deadly spiritually. And that's humanism. It's the idea of the thought that we simply deny the existence of God. We don't need God. I was listening to the news. It's one of those early morning times when either after or before quiet time, I can't remember, I have to watch something to wake up really good before I pick up, pick up the Bible. And uh, DirecTV has this thing called News Mix. It shows like six screens at one time. You click on one, it's a little screen, and you can hear what's being said. On the top screen here was Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman is, I think, one of the better actors in, in Hollywood today. If you remember the movie Driving Miss Daisy, Morgan Freeman. If you saw the uh, movie The Bucket List with your custom machine on so you didn't hear the language, uh, then that was Morgan Freeman. If you saw Bruce Almighty, where he supposedly played God, Morgan Freeman. If you saw Evan Almighty, Morgan Freeman. A tremendous actor. A saw the earth kind of guy. The new movie about dolphins stars, stars Morgan, uh, Morgan Freeman. Well, I clicked on it because I wanted to hear what he had to say. And some dude was interviewing him. It's a one-on-one interview. And the question came up with this. So, are you a God-fearing man? Are you a God-fearing man? And Morgan Freeman, without hesitating, said, I fear nothing. I fear nothing. I fear nothing. So, he said, the interviewer, do you believe then in God? And not referring to his movie roles, he with a very serious face said, I am God. I am God. When asked about life after death, he says, well, it's kind of like a cycle of life thing. We live on in the fact that we influence people and we influence the earth and all that. And we die, then we kind of live on in that. Now, folks, your first response, your first pushback may be, that's kind of strange. But you don't know the number of people today who buy that. That we have become our own God. We don't need a bigger God because we are God. And the first step in this journey of the pursuit of happiness is understanding something. That we are poor in spirit. Paul said it this way in the book of Romans. As it is written, Morgan Freeman, there is no one righteous. Not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become useless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. 
And as you journey through life, if you ever want to have the hope of eternal life, you have got to come to the point where you realize, I am spiritually depraved. That I have nothing to offer God. Step one. Step two is this. That you've got to become flat broken. First flat broke, and then flat broken. Jesus said this. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, time out. See, this is, once again, it's just not what it seems. What, what we want to say it is, is that, oh, isn't this so good? That, that if I come through a situation in my life where my heart is broken, where a loved one dies, or when something hard comes in my life, as I mourn, that I have the promise of God that I'm going to be comforted. Well, that may be true, but it does not apply in this scripture because the context, Jesus is speaking spiritual things. He's not talking physical things. When he says, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted, Jesus is saying when we reach a point that we realize that we're flat broke, that there's none righteous, no, not one, we reach a point, we're on our journey, but we've got to become broken over the fact that we've sinned against holy God. We've got to be broken. We've got to be offended by our sinfulness like God is offended with our sinfulness. We've got to reach a point where we understand that the fact that we have sinned offends holy God. And that breaks our heart. I have so many people, and you know too, people who come to my office and they say, my marriage is falling apart. I'll do anything. Jesus, you know, get baptized, join the church, give money, I'll do anything. And that may or may not be an opportunity to, to receive Christ, but I'm telling you, unless you realize that you're broken, broken, you're not ready to receive Jesus Christ. And that teaching is not taught today. If we could get a dog to pray the sinner's prayer, we would do it. And I'm telling you that no man comes to the Father, Jesus said, unless he is drawn by the Father. No one comes to Jesus unless the Father draw him. And if you're here today and you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, that has had to happen in your life. You had to come to a point when you're, you're broke and broken over your sin. Dwayne, what does that look like? Listen to this. This particular scripture deals with a man named David. And it's a very, again, a famous passage of Scripture. But it deals with a man named David who was broken over his sin. In this case, it was murder and adultery. Listen to what he says. Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion. Blot out my rebellion. Wash away my guilt and cleanse me from sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion, and my sin is always before me. Listen to this. Against you and you alone I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, he says, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. He said, I was guilty when I was still in the womb, we are born with a sinful nature. And our sin offends holy God. 
And we've got to reach a point where we understand that. We've got to get past, but Dwayne, I'm a pretty good person. Dwayne, I go to church. Dwayne, I've been baptized. Dwayne, I help the elderly. Dwayne, I do this and Dwayne, I do that. Man, you have got to get to the point where you understand your scale is tipped in the wrong direction. And there's nothing you can add on this side to make God show his favor on you. Just one thing will do that. And it's located on the other side of the stage. Are you willing today to understand that you're flat broke? Unlike Morgan Freeman, do you understand that you're not God? In fact, that as a sinner, and all of us have sinned, you've offended holy God. And that offense was so, let's just pause. That offense was so offensive that his son Jesus took on flesh lived a perfect life, and was nailed to a cross similar to this one, experiencing a horrible physical death and the very wrath of his Father because of your sin and my sin. How incredible is that? Flat broke, flat broken. Humble pie. He says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. Warren Wiersbe said that meekness is not weakness, but power under control. That's cute. But the bottom line is, the core meaning of meekness is humility. It's reaching a point where you understand that if anything's going to happen in your life spiritually, God's going to have to do it. It's reaching a point in your life when you understand that there's nothing you can do to tip these scales. And that anything's going to happen, hey, God, it's got to be you. When that happens, you're well on your way to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's a real understanding of your position and his position. It's an understanding of holiness and unholiness. Purity and impurity. Let me give you an illustration. You're driving to Marion and you're late for work. Because you're late for work, you're doing about 79 or 80 miles an hour. And the speed limit is 65. So you're cruising along, and as you go past Harco Road, you see a white car with yellow stripes. You all know what that is? That's the state police. You also see him pull out, or her, and they come behind you, and their car's faster than your car. Of course, by now you've hit the brakes like you're going to pretend like, I wasn't going 89. It wasn't me. He pulls up behind you and turns the lights on, and you pull over. Now you have a couple of choices. You can, one, be Mr. Macho. Who does he thank you? Doesn't he have anything better to do than to pull me over? Does he not know how many drug addicts there are? How many meth houses there are? 
Does he not understand there's murder and rapists running around? Why is he picking on me? And he walks up to me and says, good morning, sir. Can I, say, I don't, I don't, I don't care. Listen, let me tell you something, son. I'm late for work today. I don't advise that. Because you may think you're big and you're tough. But your ticket's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. I don't think the state policeman's going to go, oh, how stupid of me. Of course you're late for work. Would you please forgive me for pulling you over? Please, go, hurry, go on your way. I don't think that's how it goes. Nor, be honest with you, if you pull over and, and he goes, can't see your license? And you go, man, I'm so sorry, I'm stupid. But I'm telling you, if there's any chance of leniency, it's going to be with the attitude of respect for the office. And I'm telling you, you approach God with arrogance, and you'll face him as judge in a place called hell. You face him with brokenness, and you'll find forgiveness in a place called Calvary. And that leads us to the last one. We're not going to do the final three. We'll do that later. That leads us to fat and happy. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, because they are going to be filled. Jesus says when you realize that you are a sinner, when you realize that you sin against God and you get broken over that sin, and if anything's going to happen, it's going to have to be God, that puts you in a position to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Imagine you're going down the road. You're in your car. You're on this journey. You're pursuing happiness. And you're going 65. You're going speed limit this time. And about that time, you hear, and you look down, and you know that little yellow light that says low fuel? The one has been on for three days. You look at the gauge. It's past E, and your engine dies. You're out of gas. You start coasting, and amazingly, a gas station is right up the road. You're getting slower and slower and slower. And finally, you coast into the gas station and gently tap the brakes at the pump. And then you go, anybody want a Coke? No. You go and you put gas in the vehicle because, let me tell you something, the most important thing right now is gas because... You're out. And when you're broken, broke, broken, and humbled, the most important thing becomes, God, I want you. And nothing else matters. And when you get to that point, that's when Jesus says, take my hand. Take my hand. Any of y'all kitchen grazers? Oh, come on now. You might be a kitchen grazer. If you go to the refrigerator and open the door, and five minutes later, you're still looking. You might be a kitchen grazer if you go to the pantry and you spend more time there than you do in the living room. I know what grazing is. Sometimes I just go in there, usually after Pooter's gone to bed. The best grazing times is when the police aren't there. And I go into that kitchen, 
And I go into the pantry and turn the light on, and there's this little basket there that if there are any snacks, that's where they are. And I poke around, ain't nothing there. But there might be something like crunchy peanut butter. And you say, well, you know, crunchy peanut doesn't sound 10 o'clock at night. Crunchy peanut butter doesn't sound too bad. So you lather up a piece of, of crunchy peanut butter toast. It ain't what you want, but after all, you're grazing. And the truth is, what I'm looking for, which would probably be uh, a little Debbie cake, ain't there. And no matter how much I eat, I'm not going to be satisfied because what I'm hungry for is not there. I'm trying to tell you, God wants to get you in a position where you are so hungry for Him, nothing else matters. And He says, when you get there, I'll fill you up. When you get there, I'll fill you up. When all you want is me, I'll fill you up. But I'm telling you, folks, let me tell you something. Listen, as a believer, you need to really understand this. And if you're here today without Jesus, I want you to understand something. God loves you. God wants to forgive you. But you've got to get a point where nothing matters but Him. I was sharing the gospel story with a young lady. And I told her this story. I said, you know, there's a story in the Bible about a man who came to Jesus and said, hey, what must I do to have eternal life? And they talked about, well, what laws to keep. And he said, I've done this from my youth. What do I lack? And he's a rich guy. And, and Jesus said, go and sell everything you got. Give it to the poor and follow me. And you know what the Bible says? He turned away sorrowfully and walked off. You know why? He wanted Jesus, but not quite that bad. And I asked that little girl that night, 18-year-old lady, I said, what is it in your life that you're not willing to give up for Jesus? And I ask you the same question. Friend, if you're here today, is there something in your life you're not willing to give up? Then that's the very thing Jesus says you've got to give up to have relationship with Him. There's a wonderful story, and we've got time. In John chapter 4, if you want to take your Bibles there. I love it because the Bible says that Jesus was, was in Galilee and on a trip. And the Bible says in John chapter 4, verse 4, he needed to go through Samaria. And I like that. You know why? Because there was someone there that he needed to meet and who needed to meet him. So he came near a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, and near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Joseph, Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well, is about the sixth hour. And who shows up? A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. Now, you remember last week's sermon? Jewish men, Samaritan women. First off, men, women, men don't talk to women, and she's a Samaritan. So the lady goes, says, uh, so, 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 so why is it, how is it you won't, you being a Jew, ask me for a drink? Being a Samaritan woman. For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me to drink, you have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Well, the woman said, Sir, you don't have anything to draw with, and the well is deep. Uh, where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, of which Jesus was said, As a matter of fact, I am. 
who gave us the well and drank from it, from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered and said, now listen carefully. Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water. And that's as far as I can go because of time. Give me this water. Today my prayer is this. If you're sitting here and you're saying, Dwayne, I am so weary in life. The thought of true happiness seems to be a mirage on the horizon that I'll never see. With my heart, I want to tell you today, I know the answer to that. And his name is Jesus Christ. If you will come broke to him, understand that you have sinned against him. If you will come broken, David later said in that same verse, he says, you know, God, I would bring Jesus, I would bring you, God, I would bring you sacrifices if I could. But the thing you want is a broken heart, a contrite heart. If we want to come to God and say, God, I'm broken over my sin. And if anything's going to happen in my life, it's got to be you. At that point, at that moment, you're ready to coast into the gas station and fill up. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they, be, they shall be filled. You don't need to be a Baptist. I'm telling you, you don't. I can say I'm Baptist born and Baptist bred, and when I'm gone, I'll be a Baptist dead. But as far as getting to heaven, being a Baptist, won't you do a bit of good? Not any. Say, well, do I, I go to church. Well, I'm glad you go to church, but as far as going to heaven, going to church won't do you a bit of good. Well, I'm generous, and I'm glad you're generous. But as far as going to heaven, generosity will not do you a bit of good. What you need is Jesus. Would you bow your heads right there where you are? This morning, if you're here, and you've never asked Jesus Christ in your heart, I want to give you that opportunity. I know it's a rainy day, smaller crowd than normal. God knows all that, and God knew all of that. If you're there, are you willing to admit to God that you've sinned? There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. Would you be willing to be broken over your sin? Do you have an understanding of his position and your position? That he is holy God and you have sinned against holy God. And because of that, you're subject to his wrath. Paul said this way in the book of Romans, that the wages of sin is death. I've got good news. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And if you're willing to ask him to today, commit to following him, he will give you eternal life. He'll give you what you're hungering and thirsting for. You shall be filled.